Hello, my name is Adam Eason. Welcome to episode 86 of Hypnosis Weekly. Hello hypnosis friends and a very warm welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. I'm going to spare you my usual opening blurb as this is a special edition of the podcast. Uh, We've been away for a short while. While the podcast and I have been recharging our batteries, uh, I've been incredibly busy on other projects and so on. However, we'll be back in earnest in coming weeks with a stream of wonderful guests including some majorly high profile academic heroes of mine and some really Real movers and shakers in the world of professional hypnosis. Today, however, uh, we have a special edition. I'm sharing with you a live recording of the panel edition of this podcast that I recorded a couple of weeks ago at the UK Hypnosis Convention. My panel uh, comprised of Anthony Jackwin, Melissa Tears, Gary Turner and James Tripp, all very popular editions of uh, this, this podcast uh, um, when those guys have been on it. Uh, so they were invited back um, and, um, and and this this particular edition it was recorded by the inimitable Mr. Tim Cummins the verbal surgeon himself who compared a little bit along the way as well um, my sincere thanks to Tim and his son Jesse for providing me with this recording and being able to offer you um, um, uh, this 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 special edition um, to you guys the regular listeners of the show um, so I hope you enjoy it. I hope you get a sense of the fun that we had recorded it. So for now, my friends, get comfy, turn up the volume, sip on your tea, enjoy this week's edition of Hypnosis Weekly, recorded at the Canary Wharf Hilton Hotel on the opening eve of the UK Hypnosis Convention, Friday the 3rd of November 2017, in front of a live audience of over 120 hypnosis professionals. Enjoy. <music> We're live in the UK. How can it get any better? I don't think it can, man. Okay. And look at who we got here. All these here's are James Tripp, guru, specialist in all things special, Gary Turner, <laughs> world <laughs> champion. You don't want to get beat up by him because he would hurt you bad, bad. <laughs> Melissa Tears, New Yorker. She uses the F-bomb a lot, man. <laughs> and Anthony Jackwood, hey. you looking so good tonight. Thank you. And Mr. Ginger, I prefer to call him Dr. Eason. Look at the, you gotta be a doctor to wear a bow tie, Jack. All right, here we go. Go ahead, dear doctor. Thank you, Tim. Okay, my name is Eason. Welcome to Hypnosis Weekly, live at the Hypnosis Convention. So, hello, Hypnosis friends, and a very warm welcome to Hypnosis Weekly in, in, in with the UK Hypnosis Convention. Once again, in my own highly biased opinion, I think we have a glitterati of the hypnosis field of a show lined up for you this evening. In a short while, I'm going to introduce our panel of guests. They'll be receiving questions that have been submitted online in recent weeks, as well as any questions that any of you guys would like to throw into the mix this evening. 
Um, then we'll be asking them to share their favourite hypnosis factoids as well as some of their favourite hypnosis media stories where hypnosis featured. We'll round things off for the final Q&A before we bid you farewell on the eve of this hypnosis convention. So my first guest is the only man who I think can look cool wearing a fez. And the only grown man I, I know, know who that is. <laughs> whose dad has to escort him to conventions. <laughs> who doesn't make sure he's in bed at a particular hour. Mr. Anthony Jackwin. Hailing all the way from New York City, puts rock and roll into the hypnosis field, a master of both hypnotic language, as well as the kind of language you'd expect to hear being used by the potty mouth vendors at Billingsgate Fish Market. <laughs> Melissa Tears, everybody. My third guest is a non-vegan vegan. Ah, <laughs> vegan! With a large, large tool. Non, non, non-vegan. Oh! The last oh, time I did a group podcast with him, he actually referred to himself as a tool. I was unable to compose myself for a couple of hours thereafter. Let's hope he makes no similar references tonight. Mr. Gary Turner. Gary Turner, watch out! Gary Turner, Jack. My fourth guest on this live show has made a huge impact upon the modern face of the hypnosis world, with so many being influenced by his hypnosis without trance work in particular. He is now attempting to make the same kind of waves, uh, chaotic waves maybe, in the world of fireplaces. He has a massive love for the front sections of fireplaces in particular, and I assume that's the reason why he's always using the hashtag, I walk the hearth. <laughs> James Tripp, everybody. <laughs> Okay, on to our first round of questions for our guests. The questions will be sent in by lis regular listeners of the podcast and those responding to my social media requests. Now, the panel are going to have a maximum of three minutes per question, which I'm going to be timing. Uh, I will give them a ten-second warning that their time is coming to an end. There will be a forfeit for anyone that goes over the allotted time. And that is, anyone who runs over the time limit will have to take a six-second inhale from the inside of this leopard print, thong-backed, posing pouch. Oh, not the, not the leopard print thong, Adam, no! And, no! And I would, like to, I would like to offer a massive thanks to Hans Rudy for letting me borrow that. <laughs> I'll give it back to you afterwards. Okay. So, um, our first question, it was submitted online by Raksha Gupta, and that is, what are your top three desert island hypnosis books? Let's go in, let's go in order. Anthony, your three minutes starts now. My, my top three desert island hypnosis books are books that have had a big influence on me, one of which is by... Your man, your friend, John Overdorf. Training trances. When my dad first got into this, he picked up a couple of books that are still real gold to us, and Training Trances is one of them. To me, Training Trances is like a well-organized, polished version of Transformations by Bandler and Grinder, but very practical, very useful, and I uh, liberally borrowed much material from that. My own book, Reality is Plastic. That's number one. Ready, plastic? Yeah, um, yeah, we all got it, man. Go ahead. Second book 
is <laughs> Thought Vale by Jerome Finley. Not many of you will know who Jerome Finley is, um, but he is a guy who decided to study two full shamanic systems. He's been into hypnosis for years and years and years. He has written the new encyclopedia of hypnotism. It's an incredible book, and I bought it for $575. I'm now selling it on Jerome's behalf because he was attacked and beaten up and someone stamped on his head really badly, and he's in a bad place. So I'm currently selling digital copies of his book for $50, and all the money goes to Jerome. So if you want to buy one of the best books, this fat, hundreds of pages, is an awesome book. Um, $50. You can just mail him the money, and I'll give you the book tonight. Um, and a third book. Let me have a think. That's a good one. Your book, uh, man. It's your book. <laughs> no, it's probably plugging my own thing. It's too awful, man. Um, Melissa Tears. Book. No worries, mate. Remember that one? That's a good one. How much time have I got left, Jen? How much? How much? It's long, smelling pretty strong, bro. I've got one minute. Okay, I'll give Adam's book a little plug. I know. Okay. No, I'll give Adam's book a little plug. Adam wrote a book about self-hypnosis many years ago. And like most of us who got into this stuff years ago, it was full of shit. What? <laughs> what? However, he updated his thing. The Science of Self-Hypnosis is an awesome book. The beginning of that book is a fantastic introduction to the cognitive behavioral model of hypnosis. It's a fine book. I recommend it to anyone who wants to learn self-hypnosis. Thank wow, you. That's very good. Okay, so Transformations was uh, one of the books that I think initially had the most impact on what I do. Um, I read that book and it, it kind of brought together a lot of what I was trying to get from uh, Milton Erickson's books at yeah. the time. Um, after that book, I was then able to get a hell of a lot more out of my favorite Milton Erickson's books, maybe Exploratory Casebook, might be, or mm -hmm. Hypnotic Realities, maybe, mm -hmm. but Monsters and Magical Sticks, um, There's yeah. No Such Thing as Hypnosis, that was a fun book that kind of, uh, you know, made me think about things in a slightly different way. Um, you know, I'm always drawn to the books that... Um, make me look at what I'm doing differently more than getting techniques or getting this getting that but having a very different perspective on some of the stuff um, uh, training trances again um, was that three? I that think that's like five Melissa but who's <laughs> counting? there's a lot more I mean I okay that's what I, that's what I said top three I need to say that Top three, fine. I, but is it my top three? Just today, How can you right now. No right one's going to hold it to you. Right now, that is my top three. Um, you know, I'll pass this and then I'll be like, oh, yeah, that book. And then he'll say something and I'll be like, oh, that book. Anyway. You had good ones. Though. Thank you, you very much. I'm not going anywhere near that thong. Mary, time starts now. Uh, this is a difficult one for me because I am an absolute geek and I read far too much. I've always got a head in a book or something. Uh, the three for me, probably the ones that have had the most impact on the way that I work, the way I apply and my knowledge, uh, I'll go for Louder Than Words by Bergen. Really good. He's a brilliant cognitive linguist. If all of you think they have a flying pig, you'll fall into one of two categories. One will have wings 
Pegasus, as he calls it. Mm. The other one would be a pig flying. Super Pig. He gave us Super Pig <laughs> and Pegasus. The guy is really entertaining. His latest book is What the F, which is the cognitive science of swearing and profanity. Oh, I have that. Uh, it's awesome, yeah, isn't it? It's awesome. <laughs> For example, <laughs> in, in the English language, our swear words are, are grouped into one of four. It's either about what is sacred, bodily functions, procreation or slurs. Please shut the ears if you don't like swearing. But this is cognitive science. He calls it the holy fucking shit nigger principle. Oh, no, he didn't say it. He did. Now, oh, it was no. laughed. And, and, and the reaction that comes is part of the reason why the cognitive science of profanity isn't studied and is repressed. But profanity actually comes from a different part of the brain to a normal speech. So if your speech and language pattern, uh, Broca's of Wernicke's area, is damaged, you still might well be able to communicate through swearing. Highly interesting. Highly look at it. But it's, it's how the words, as hypnotists, we give suggestions, we, we word weave, we guide people's cognition, physiology, using words. Words have power. Louder than words will break it down for you in really fun, practical terms. And then you can read What the F as well, just because that's really rocking. Uh, the other two books will be definitely by uh, uh, the, the, the psychologist... Um, I think I uh, highly recommend memory. Everything we do as hypnotists is playing with memories. Mm -hmm. um, memory is the most complete set of works I've found in the cognitive sciences to do with memory by Isenk. Really, really good. Also, then, I've got to mention cognitive psychology by Isenk. Uh, it underpins everything that we do, uh, and it basically shows that a lot of what we know as hypnosis it's just basically normal cognitive functions. Um, so there's, there's three for me. The other reason why, by the way, I like cognitive psychology is these are desert island books and there's lots of paper involved. Lots of paper. I've got some kindling to use oh. fire. Oh, kindling, that's where Thank you. go. I was yep. thinking the other yep. direction, that, Gary. That's what leaves are. That's what leaves are. Bio, bio, bio available. Anyway, here's James. Bio available. James, thank you, Gary. Sit back. We're going to sit back. Okay, so yeah, I've had a good amount of time to think about this, which is nice. Which means I've got four books, but I'm going to keep it down to three. It's cheating, James. I know, it's cheating, yeah. <laughs> Melissa already mentioned Monsters and Magical Sticks. That was always going to be the top of my list. Um, after I did my NLP training back in the day and I was coming out going, ah, oh, ah, oh, and I got all these techniques and I didn't know how to get it to hang together. And Monsters and Magical Sticks was a massive game changer for me. And there's stuff from that that I still use now, like when I do pain control stuff with people. It's coming from uh, what Stephen Heller was doing in Monsters and Magical Sticks. It's absolutely fantastic uh, book, and I've read it at least three times. I'll probably read it again at some point. So there's that. Um, I've got to... Th this is... Now, Gary took it kind of off topic out of hypnosis. So I'm going to do the same. I'm going to talk about Lisa Feldman Barrett's book, How Emotions Are Made, which I read recently. And it's, it's just a complete beast. Because it's not how emotions are made, really. It's how your reality is made. Literally how you're making your reality up. I've never read a better book um, unpacking how we do that. So I love that book for that reason. Even though it's not technically directly about hypnosis, I think it's everything uh, about hypnosis. So the other book I'm going to mention here... Um, it's kind of weird that gets close to that camera does. <laughs> Can't back off. It's too close to James. Yeah. Um, yeah, the other book I'm gonna mention here is is like I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat a bit. It's an audio, really. It's David Cowart. Is that cheating? 
Hypnotic Techniques. Absolutely fantastic. For me, that was a game changer, by the way. Another game changer. Um, and definitely. Tell him one more time, James. I would not be sat here if it was not if it was for that book. Tell him one more time, book. James, because I was making it. It was a game changer. What, who was the, what's the thing again? Oh, Stephen. Um, David Kaloff. David Kaloff, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. David Kaloff's. Uh, profound for you, I can tell. Yeah, David Sorry, Kaloff's James. book. So, yeah, Hypnotic Techniques, David Kaloff. And the book that got bumped there is Jürgen Rasmussen's book. A real Trump fan. I was going to build my list. Lisa Bubba Barrett bumped it off because he got me to think outside the box. But Jürgen's book is awesome. Provocative hypnosis, a good one, Jürgen. Yeah, you've got to read that. If you haven't read it, you have to read it. Great. Thank you very much, James. So, um... Um, for me, the Oxford Handbook of Hypnosis by Barnier and Nash, uh, probably the most comprehensive literature review for everything evidence-based in the field of uh, hypnosis, heterohypnosis, is, is the thing for me. Um, um, Kev and Ant uh, introduced that to me at Change Phenomena uh, a decade ago, which uh, just kind of informs my practice a great deal. Um, Casebook of Clinical Hypnosis by Lynn Kirsch and Rue. The reason that I love that is simply because these are massive academics that actually share direct clinical case studies and, and their real work. And it's nice because a lot of people criticize um, academics as being theoretical and not, not practical and not sort of applicable as far as hypnosis is concerned. So it's really lovely to read about about how, how academics and researchers applied uh, their work um, clinically. And I think finally for me, seminal work, Clark Holes, 1933, Hypnosis and Suggestibility, ultimately the first ever um, a real scientific study of the field of hypnosis. Clark Hole, uh, we did a special edition, a Heroes of Hypnosis edition of the Hypnosis Weekly podcast all about Clark Hole. Um, I champion him because of that snippet of a sentence that goes something along the lines of everything that assumes hypnosis creates hypnosis and I find that really a, a, a really beautiful thing um, um, that's it for me um, and I was well within the three minutes there no uh, <laughs> part of me wants to sniff <laughs> so uh, um, second question that was submitted online by the one and only Mr. Tim Cummins, in Ooh, fact, and I'm sure you'd all love no, it. We're going to start with James for this one. We'll start up the other end and come back this way this time round, even things up. What is the best way to generate new clients for your hypnosis practice? It's Something I'm question. sure we'd all like it's to know. It's a great question. It's the money, man. Damn, I'm the worst person to ask this. Um, my clients come from different places. So I do a lot of work with Rock to Recovery, which is a UK charity at the moment, and I'm doing more work with them, so I'm very happy to work with them, and they have plenty of clients to work with. That's a veterans charity. So um, plenty of clients coming from there, but the rest of my clients come in <coughs> online from doing stuff like posting, I walk the half, um, on walk the half. It's walking the half, really, on Instagram and that kind of thing. So I do a lot of stuff online, a lot of social media stuff. Um, I mostly... You shouldn't be doing this, Melissa. You shouldn't be doing this. I mostly, um, I mostly do coaching work, which all comes from the online stuff that I do, and then the issue-specific change work stuff I do with Rock to Recovery, which is an absolutely fantastic organisation. I recommend you go online, you look up Rock to Recovery, and you donate to them. I think that will be a really good thing to do. Yeah. Gary. Great. Thank you, James. 
to get clients, the, the, the best thing that I find is to put your clients first. Um, for example, the client will say to me, how many sessions is it going to take? I'll say, I don't know. Come and have one. That might be it. We don't know. But I've had my problem for years. Well, it might be okay after this session. We don't know until we try. So I'm not a fan of saying it will take six to eight sessions. Uh, I always say that sometimes it can take one, but not in every case. But have one, see how it goes. Um, and when I'm working with clients, I look to get them to stand on their own two feet as quickly as possible, where they don't need me. I'm redundant. Uh, in other words, I look to educate my client into how to do their own interventions. But how would they hear change. about you, Gary? How to, uh, through success. So what happens is when so they get all result, word of mouth. Yeah, when they get success. So if you haven't had anybody, then you're pretty much just. No, I'm just screwed. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, for example, someone fed up with stop smoking. Um, and I'll normally get them to stop smoking on the phone and say, look, just, it, just stop smoking. It is that easy. Just become a normal, natural non-smoker. If you come and see me, I'll make you believe that it's just as easy as stop smoking and stop smoking. So why not save your money and stop now? Give that a go and then book in and then book in if it doesn't work. It's quite funny. There's a few, few obviously, a bit, a bit of words in there as well. Uh, and I'd probably get one out of three people booking in the other two out of three have actually stopped smoking and they recommend me lots of clients because I've been honest with them I've got them their result quickly and they know I'm not in it for the money I'm concentrating on my client success and that brings more clients and that gets me the, 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 the beans in the tin so yeah basically Be investing in my clients like getting get, do, doing well by the clients that's, that's what I would say gets, gets the most clients in because they're the ones that tell more people Melissa's going to have some hardcore information here now. <laughs> Got on yeah hardcore information um, so I'm not really known for my marketing savvy but I will say um, do good work and word gets around um the other thing that helps is that, um, I'm sorry? Oh, you couldn't hear me, sorry. sorry. Um, in the US, and, and maybe here as well, if anyone is on psychiatric medication or has been diagnosed with, um, you know, has a clinical diagnosis, I need a referral. And many moons ago, I used to really resent that. Um, because people would call me because they didn't want to go to their, you know, therapist anymore, psychiatrist. But what I find is that it allowed me to develop a lot of good relationships so that pretty much 90% of my uh, client base comes by way of referral from therapists, psychiatrists, doctors, word gets around. So, you know, it's a tight-knit groups and when two psychiatrists are referring, then all of a sudden, you know, 20 are. So for me, that's one way is to ask for a referral. If they're currently in therapy, you know, I'm in New York City, so everyone is in therapy. And most people are on, you know, some kind of ridiculous psychiatric medication. Trump, we need to be in therapy. <clears throat> And sorry, I'm not sorry. taking that That's right. We're going to have a good time <laughs> not talking about that. That's right. So basically, there's, there's that and do good work. I mean, I, I too, um, try and arm people with a skill set so that they don't need to keep coming to me for, you know, 
that many sessions. I say it's an average of around three sessions, sometimes less, sometimes more. But, you know, that too um, gets people excited. They get armed with these skill sets and then they talk to their friends and other people. So it's all referral for me. Yes, it's Time. Thank you, Melissa. You have 30 seconds. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Over to you. Well, you've already heard lots of good things. Encourage referrals. My dad said just today on our training, he doesn't give people a business card because they keep it like it's for them. He gives them five. There's a, there's, there's a kind of thing I've found amongst practitioners of hypnosis that we're so desperate to appear highly successful that sometimes we're afraid to tell people that we need more business. And, you know, it's one of those things where some of your clients will be champions for you. Occasionally you're going to see a smoker and they're going to tell 50 people. So you need to encourage people with problems that aren't that embarrassing to tell their friends. Because their friends have got phobias, their friends want to lose weight, their friends want to quit smoking. Um, business networking worked for me. I grew tired of it after a couple of years. But Business Networking Institute, Business on Toast, all these kind of things where you turn up at 7 in the morning, you pay to have some breakfast... If you go, you'll soon see you're the most interesting person there. You might not actually be the most interesting person there, but because of the word hypnosis, you will be the most interesting person there. And you will immediately get business from the people around the table, even though the aim is they become your sales team. But my thing, and again, I said this on our training today, is you're going to do this one conversation at a time. Same reason. People hear the word hypnosis, and whatever their reaction, they have to respond and when you normalize it or you show them something interesting or you open up this little window of hope uh, with regard to their problem, then they become your clients. And when they become your clients, they're going to refer people to you. And when they refer people to you, you need to thank them. You need to let them know this turned into business. You need to um, encourage more of the same. But for me, and I know it's not everyone's thing, but for me it's just be the hypnotist everywhere. You'll notice my dad is never off. You know, not just because we're here. It's hypnosis time. This is what we're doing. This is what we do. This is what we love. This is what we're passionate about. So we talk about it. And the best thing about hypnosis for me is the way it just eats other topics. <laughs> yeah? It consumes other topics. If someone's into sport then they need to know what you're doing. If someone's into personal development, they have to have this piece. If someone is into sales and influence and persuasion and communication, then they have to know what you're doing. It just eats everything. No problem. So, you know, just say the H word as often as possible and you will get clients. You know, we could talk about adverts and this and that, but no one's really reading local newspapers anymore. It costs a fortune. My other tip... Let me just glance at the clock. Oh. <laughs> Thank you very much, Anthony. So, um, um, for me, always, I think the central... If we share... Oh, my God, thank you. Should we just do with that? Well done, Karen. I think that was actually a Melissa thing, but anyway. Yeah, that's still working, right? Yeah, it's still working. Yeah, yeah, we'll the alien down. music is gone. Okay. Give it up for the lack of the alien music! Yeah. Oh, God, that was driving me completely. I wasn't liking it, man. 
So, um, um, for me, I think a really central ethos of, of my own business development has always been um, um, undersell, over-deliver. Um, that is to serve people, making, uh, rather than selling, um, always attempting to serve and, and to, to develop and ultimately astonish. As, as hypnotists, as, um, as Melissa said and as Anthony said in particular, you know, I think um, we have an opportunity to captivate people's attention uh, because that they have an inherent interest within our field and it makes a huge amount of sense to astonish people and therefore elicit hypnotic phenomena, to serve them, to educate them phenomenally well and to astonish them in order that every time they leave having made, you know, you made a, a huge impression upon them. And exactly as Melissa said, um, for me, the bedrock of an impressive hypnotherapist's business is that of referral. That is that you made such a good impression, you made such a good impact upon somebody's life that they are inclined to refer and to share their, their wonderful experience and that you astonish them to the point that they want to speak about it and recommend and refer and say wonderfully good things about you. And I think, you know, we... we with hypnotic phenomena and with the uh, good, solid education with regards to the field and with um, dispelling myth and misconception about what it is that we do, you, you, you have an opportunity to, to do something incredible. And I think, for me, that is the way to develop business, to, to absolutely make it your primary aim, to serve, to be present while you're having conversations with people, um, something as, as basic as that. Um, I think I'm going to leave that there. Okay, so... Um, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to open it up. Um, um, does anybody in the audience have a question before I ask one of the other ones that was offered online? Okay, what was that? that's okay. When you were timed out, what was your tip you were about to give? <laughs> you do realise that in order for him to answer that, you will also have to simultaneously sniff from the posing... <laughs> Or, or do we give him a green card in order to answer that? It's okay. Don. Yeah, we'll give, Don. We'll give him the chance Don. to answer. Don. 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 No, no, no. Oh. Green card. I've got, I've got six seconds. I reckon I would we can like, do it. I would six like seconds. To hear that. I would like to hear that. Um, Mike. I tell you what it is. Journalists are lazy. What? So, you just have to get in with your local paper, your local radio station, and once you're in, every time there is a bunch of Chilean miners stuck in a baked bean can, or there's some celebrity getting hypnotised, or Darren Brown does a TV show, they call you and they say, do you want to come on the radio? It's, it's not difficult but to get on there, but once you're in, you are their guy. And I've been in the local paper tons of times for seemingly unrelated stuff, but that's, that's good for business. So, so call those guys? or what? Call, call them, listen out for stories, you know... Tune in to, to local news now and again. When you see something, find some way in, you know, other than advertising and eventually getting one of those editorials <laughs> paid for. Anthony Jackman blimp, is that but, what you're but saying? One, that's just what I found. Uh, very early on when I first started my business in Derby, I got a thing about, you know, new business. It was some, some little business page in the local paper. That got me in there. That got me into local radio. And I've been on there dozens and dozens of times. Just as they, they, It's just easy. It's once you're in, you're in. You don't have to really be writing press releases and all that kind of stuff. You just, you become their guy. Anything related to hypno, the mind, Got it. you know, it's easy. Great. Actually, I have, much, I have one more thing. And I had a lot of time yeah, left so because I didn't have much. <laughs> <laughs> it was a marketing question. I've got that in the bank and I've got no mic at the moment. 
So um, the other thing that has been working for a lot of my students is they take out like a living social or a Groupon, I don't know what it would be here, um, because that Groupon, that's here too. And even though you wind up making, you know, 30 $35 or $40 a session, what happens is they, they sell 150 of those. And when you're starting out, that's 150 people that are interested enough in hypnosis to pay that, that Groupon thing. Um, but more importantly, they find their voice. When you're just doing session after session after session, people come in, okay, what do you want to change today? And you do 150 of those right out the gate, you start to get really good. So, you know, it, it used to be that we would, um, you know, apprentice and things like that. So it's, you know, you're still getting paid. It's just, it's above minimum wage. But more importantly, you're, you're really... cards and you suddenly got 150 people... That's right. you another five people each. There you go. So that's the way to go there, yeah. As Freddie would say, gives them all five cards. No, we're in, it's great. Don't, 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 don't let him in. Don't let him in, man. All right. We work with suggestion. Yeah. It's running away from you now. Suggestion is... Thank you, Freddie. So, um, um, our next question was submitted by Ryan Taylor. And... What is a favorite or most commonly used metaphor that you use with one-to-one -one clients? Okay, so um, I reckon we, we give that straight to Gary. Gary, Gary. Common metaphor that I use. I have no idea. <laughs> I've got to be perfectly honest. I have no idea. Um, I, I, I study Andy Austin's work. Andrew T. Austin's a He's one, of, in my opinion, one of our leading peers, um, and every word that he says on every single one of his products, especially his live trainings, ha has has relevance to what he's putting across. Um, so I generally use my clients' metaphors. I, I use what they give me, um, and I'll rapidly change it. Uh, for example, if I'm working with someone with pain, I'll quite quickly turn it over to sensation, um, but not in such a way that I just dismiss their metaphor. Um, yeah, so I don't really know what I would use, but I do know that my clients tell me what they use, and then I use theirs. Kind of a get-out answer, I guess, but I've got to be honest, I, I can't really answer the question honestly, apart from I don't know. Does that mean you lied, Gary Turner? No, I just said a little untruth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Very much anyway. Lies to children. Where's Bob Burns? Lies to children. <laughs> All right, so James, James. let's go up that way. All right, James. Start to trip. Time's starting. Yeah, we're good. Okay, so um, one of the things that's been a huge thing for me, and it kind of relates to the stuff Gary's saying, is um, I've done a lot of clean language training. So clean language is a big thing, eliciting client metaphors, using client metaphors. But I'm also happy to work with any metaphors that come through. Now, the thing for me is I don't – often the metaphors that I use come from what's happening at the moment in my life, something the other day, a conversation, whatever – so they constantly change all the time. So I can't say there's one particular favorite that I often use. But if I was going to pick one, if I was going to pick one, Do it, maybe it would be um, talking about, I often talk about moods like weather. You know, they blow in, they blow out, but you, you just got to let them blow through. But people kind of get hung on it and they look through that mood and they think 
what they see is the world as it is through that moon. But it's just weather and it's going to blow through. So I use this idea of, of weather a lot and just letting stuff blow through. So that's one example. One thing, I'll, I'll just share one um, that comes up for me from my old coach, Steve Chandler. Um, I remember him saying to me once when I was being coached, and I use this a lot sometimes with clients, uh, I, I was using some metaphors, a metaphor coming from me, and he said, stop, I will not have you using these heavy geological metaphors for what is just passing weather. <laughs> and, um, and I love that, and I've, I've probably drawn on that in various different ways a few different times, and maybe that's the source of that weather metaphor. So that's what I'm chucking out there in this moment. Thank you very much, James. You're welcome. Good one. So, like these guys, I work with um, a lot of the clients' metaphors, so, you know, in real time. Um, but some old standards, which I used to use a lot, um, would be kind of, you know, saying... Um, it's as if I'm in the back seat of your car and I'm, you know, giving you directions, right? I'm saying make a right, make a left, make a right. We're going to get to this really cool place, but you're driving and you can easily, you know, not go in the direct, you know, so this was all part of the pre-talk when people are a little nervous about hypnosis, something like that, or the movie, you know, it's like when you're in a movie theater and utilizing the movie theater experience to talk about ways that we go in and out of these hyper-suggestible states. Um, you know, that, anyway. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I, I use metaphor in pretty much every session, and I don't believe that Milton Erickson had an infinite tapestry of spontaneous metaphors. I believe that, like most storytellers, he told the same stories over and over and over. I'm also a magician. There's a saying in magic that a professional magician does six tricks thousands of times. And an amateur magician has thousands of tricks. They may be doing once, but you have a drawer full of shit that you never touch. And I love all these ideas about using the metaphors and using the client's metaphors and so forth and so on. But I can confess to you that I have five or six metaphors that I use. In, you know, I maybe use one or two. I've used them thousands of times. My dad's got one particular metaphor he's used over 20,000 times. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the point is, in, in terms of what we're trying to do with metaphor, just kind of shuffle the deck of their head, give them a bit of space yeah, to, to, to make connections... I just don't believe we need to create this stuff on the fly. So go ahead and tell us some yeah. of your favorites. So I'll tell, I'll tell you one of my favorites. Um, okay, and I'll, I'll recommend a book as well, because I know there's a bit of kind of, um, you know, anti-script kind of vibe often on hypnosis trainings, but R. Haven's book, Hypnotherapy Scripts, a Neo-Ericksonian Approach, is still a gold book. It has some awesome metaphors in there, some of which I still use. But one I use a lot, especially if people are kind of berating their problem and they've got a fear and anxiety, something like that, and they're saying, that's ruining my life why am I doing this um, I, I, this, is, this is true I read a story in the paper 15 years ago I didn't really believe it I've since seen it again now I know it is true about these Japanese soldiers at the end of the second world war they were dotted on these little islands in the Indian Ocean some of them just have two or three soldiers on and uh, the war was suddenly declared over and the ships came past and picked up the soldiers and some of them got left behind uh, because you know, they lacked communications they didn't know that the war was over 
And because they're super loyal, they would still march up and down the beach each day. They would maintain their weapons, their tattered uniforms. And some of them continued doing this for years and years and years. Yeah. Now, when do you think the last person stopped fighting in World War II? Because I haven't got much time. 1974. 1974. These people were holding out till 1974. How are you going to treat this person? What are you going to say? Idiot! No. They'd send out the highest ranking military official. They would turn up with some ceremonial sword. They would invite them home. They'd give them the news. They'd give them the key to the city. This is your most loyal soldier. And it's exactly the same for that part of you that is running this protective mechanism. Good stuff, baby. That's good stuff. Thank you. So, um... I'm a little bit of a, a fish out of water with regards to this particular question because um, I, I would say that a, a metaphor is slightly alien to the way in which I typically work. Um, with that in mind, um, probably the, the, the place where metaphor exists within my own work is probably within a, within a response set, which I'm sure you're all very much aware is something that somebody like Michael Yapko, for example, would use as a means of seeding an idea prior to uh, a therapy session, a means of kind of introducing a concept in order that it's kind of more, more readily accepted uh, later on. And for me, that would be, you know, potentially more kind of universal experiences, which is about sort of as, as far a leaning as, as something Ericksonian that I would ever likely to get. And I think probably... Um, with a lot of depression, a lot of clients who are suffering from depression, um, perhaps a sense of not knowing or always having to attempt to know and put a sort of black and white meaning onto things um, um, is, is something that I find myself wanting to, to, to deal with, where people are projecting meaning onto something. And I think probably uh, the, the, the most commonly used universal metaphor that I would likely to be used would be to, to demonstrate projection of meaning onto something that perhaps doesn't have meaning, and that is to, to show the value of not having to know something for sure and, and put it in black and white terms. So for me, that would be something like... Um, um, you, you, you made a call to somebody, uh, you, you gave somebody a call and they didn't call you back within 24 hours or two days and you begin to project meaning onto what the reasons might be that they're not calling you back. You know, perhaps they don't like me, perhaps I upset them or something and you begin to perhaps expose your own vulnerabilities or, or whatever it might be um, without necessarily uh, knowing for sure. And... and kind of introducing a concept of it's okay not to know sometimes and not have a black and white understanding and not know for sure is probably about as metaphoric as things ever get for me. Um, okay, so um, we're going to move on to... Um, I'm just, just kind of give these guys um, I'm, I'm a bit of time to think about it. We're, a regular section of the show is our hypnosis in the news section. And uh, we're going to ask all of, the, all of our panel guests to talk about... Uh, one of their favourite times that hypnosis has appeared in the news. I don't know if any of you remember back in 2014, probably one of the most um, um, controversial or talked about debates I had ever on the podcast was, uh, if any of you saw, um, here in England in, um, in an off-licence newsagent back in 2014, there was a hypnotist thief. 
who was uh, who was filmed, and there was some CCTV footage that was filmed where the guy made a couple of obscure and unusual hand movements um, that were interpreted by the media as creating hypnosis, and, and and hypnosis was what permitted this guy to then steal and take money from the till, so to speak. And um, I spent a bit of time being asked about this particular question. And it became a really interesting topic for me because uh, the kind of mechanisms that were being employed within, within the thing may well potentially have lent themselves to something so-called hypnotic, such as confusion or uh, confabulation, for example, or the notion of expectation and the guy just kind of expecting people to hand over money and distraction and, and, and a number of different mechanisms. But for me, hypnosis did not exist, and I thought it was a really neat way for the media to make something and use the term hypnosis to make a story a lot more sexy and perhaps a lot more sensational. Um, so I thought that was a really kind of interesting and quirky story that a lot of people shared and a lot of people talked about and uh, potentially also <laughs> cast a bit of shade over the hypnosis field. Um, guys, over to you. Thank you, Thank you Adam. <coughs> uh, I've got a little story here. Look, I came prepared. Melissa's oh, suddenly cheating. thinking. That's not cheating. We were warm. No, no, no. This was part of the show. Research, yeah. Melissa. <laughs> Guys, this is happening. And you and James said, we're going to win. They it. said it. We're going to win it. Oh, oh God. Fine. Yeah. Fine. Now it's time for Okay, early. so uh, this was in the Times, April 16th, 2016. Um, and it's a very interesting story. One of the most famous books about the Second World War was written by Heinrich Gerlach. He's a German. He was there at Stalingrad. That's the biggest battle of the Second World War. 1.7 million people died in this endless battle. And he wrote a, a, a book. He, he got in favour with his Russian guards. He essentially got, uh, got put in prison. He got in favour with his Russian guards. He gave him a typewriter. He wrote a book about the carnage that he saw and essentially the behaviour that him and his, uh, his, his fellow Germans engaged in. And he ended up in all sorts of bother and got massively traumatised. And they stole his book. And then he couldn't remember it. He couldn't remember anything about it. So he... Um, got in touch with quite a famous hypnotist at the time called Carl Schwartz, who hypnotised him to remember it. Two and a half hours later, all that had emerged was a single sentence. Uh, not, not great memory recovery there. So instead, he adopted a different strategy with Carl Schwartz of um, you know, just kind of reliving the battles again, rather than trying to remember what he'd actually written. And he, and he managed to eventually get this book out after about five years. And... Uh, the, the, the question is, is this faithful to his original rendition of the book? So this was a best-selling book. This is one of the most famous books about World War II. And he had done a deal with Carl Schwartz. Like, you're going to tell you're going to have half the royalty should we ever recover the information. And then when it became the best-selling book, Gerlach claimed that, no, you hypnotized me. You made me sign that contract. It went to court and uh, Carl Schwartz won and got all the royalties. But you should check it out. It's an awesome book. Thank you, Anthony. <laughs> That's called preparation, Melissa. Yeah. Deal with it. Morbid. Okay. <laughs> Morbid and kill it and make it move. Okay. Got it. So, um, I don't know when it was in the news, but... Um, it's your first mistake. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> But I, but I will show, say, Melissa. I will say this. Um, 
one of uh, the, the favorite little <coughs> tidbits, little research studies um, that I really liked was when I read something where they were using hypnosis um, as the tool in this research study to study something else. So they were studying non-epileptic seizures. But I really liked how it was written where hypnosis was just the, the tools they were using. You know, when I first started doing this a long time ago now, it seems, um, there was still a lot of question, you know, is hypnosis real? I mean, I would, you know, have uh, uh, conversations with doctors who didn't believe that it was, you know, that you could, that it, that it was real, that it was anything beyond the stage. So for me to kind of read something where hypnosis was already a given, it was such a given that it was the tool that they were using to study something else, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Fake news. Fake news. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Done. <laughs> well, it was written somewhere. Gary, over to you. Okay, this is a, a bit of an odd one for me because I tend not to follow the news that much. Um, so uh, it's, it's tough. Actually, the one that, that you spoke about, I, I got phoned by a couple of police officers in that force for my opinion on that. Uh, and my, when I broke it down, had a look at it, basically I put it down to misdirection and a lot of balls on the, on, on the guy doing the, doing the thing, but I couldn't see any actual uh, hypnosis taking place. Um, I was going to recall, um, I thought you were going to nick my thunder a little bit, because I was going to go about the biggest story probably of the 20th century, World War II, and a certain fellow called Hitler. Um, I actually got a Facebook ban for talking about Hitler's leadership skills. This gets taught at university, and one of my friends, who's a university lecturer, doing a master's degree, uh, teaches a master's in this, um, was actually quite shocked by that, because Hitler had linguistic skills. He was an amazing, what we could term, mass hypnotist. If hypnosis is where our imagination is guided so much that it becomes our reality with a sense of non-volition, Hitler is an amazing orator and mass hypnotist. The way that he studied the way he weaved his language to create movement in the people hearing it was immense. He took a country to atrocities and world war, and it wasn't even his country. When you actually break it down, that guy, he had some amazing leadership skills. Sure, they're misdirected, but the actual skills, the way that he would actually practice his gestures, his motions to make sure that the words were in time with the gestures and there was a congruence in what he was putting across, it was immense. It's worth actually studying. Um, and yeah, you can actually do university degrees. But officially right? Nazis suck, right? Just, just Understatement of the year. Okay, just make it clear. <laughs> yeah. Not like um, so I'd go, for, I'd go for hypnosis in the news. <laughs> I'd go for World War II all around the world. And it was, for me, the, the element of the story is, is Hitler's oratory skills and the way that he presented the same sort of skills that Richard Pryor and other amazing comedians were used with even stage anchors and their words weaved in, the way that they, uh, even concerts today, the way that they use pace and build things up, the way that you sound systems to create sound waves hitting your body for certain effects. Hitler was there back in the, you know, back... Back 20th century. But he quite, still quite sucks, ago. Mike Gary. He, he still sucks. sucks. He sucks. You hate he him does. and his little mustache both suck. <laughs> yeah. Right? Boo, Hitler. Just Completely. making sure. We're Completely. not for Hitler. Okay. He's, he's Interesting, Adam. <laughs> Thank you, Gary. <clears throat> Do you speak German, Gary? No. Okay. That's his so good. He's been so hungry. Okay, so I'm like, I'm like Gary. I don't really pay much attention to the news. 
but I, you know, I see stuff pop up, and unfortunately, the thing that pops up most isn't necessarily good stuff. It's about you know people uh, not behaving as scrupulously as they could, as ethically as they could, and there seems to be a lot of those stories coming up. I'm not, I'm not going to go to that place. The thing I'm going to uh, touch on here is the thing that comes up, came up with Trump, didn't it? Is Trump a hypnotist? Right? Is he a hypnotist? It came up with Obama as well. People are saying the same thing. Obama, master hypnotist, people breaking down um, the hypnotic language. And it seems to be anybody who's out there and influencing and influencing effectively, it's like, are they a trained hypnotist? The question comes up about um, about Gary's hero, Hitler, you know? Hero? You know, hero? You know. Anti, I hate him! <laughs> was, he had skills. Was he, <laughs> I hate him! Was he, a, was he a hypnotist? And here's, here's the interesting thing, you know, it's like, if, depending upon how you look at hypnosis, yeah, they're hypnotists, but that doesn't mean they're trained hypnotists. You know, we're all hypno hypnotists. We all use words, we all influence each other. We move each other's minds with our words, the ideas that we share. We all do it. You know, so it's very easy to make a case that anybody is a hypnotist. With regard to this question of, you know, is Donald Trump a hypnotist, that's an interesting thing. <sighs> you know, he's probably had some, uh, some NLP trainers give him a few tips on how to run a sales, uh, you know, a sales call or a negotiation. But that's the one that kind of comes up for me. Um, <laughs> by the way, just as Gary is not a fan of... of Hitler. I'm, I'm not a fan of Trump either. I just want to say I'm not. You know. So that's. Melissa's actually an expert on this. I believe she's been she's been invited to to speak on this very subject. So I better get rid of this now because the pants are coming my way. Oh, do Were you one of the bands that decided not to be part of the inauguration? So prior to. Prior to our, our, our final question round, where I'm hoping we get some question, or we, we get a question at least from, from, from you all, um, um, we have our, our factoid round, and, and typically whether that is some kind of uh, a, a folklore or myth or a study or something. Um, one of the things that I've, I've been really keen to champion is um, I'm back in uh, is a particular study by Janandez and Rosenthal back in 1999 who, who took on and adopted a very, very unusual application of hypnosis, which was um, a pilot study, a feasibility study of 24 people with broken bones and used hypnosis and compared to a control group whether or not hypnosis could directly be used to speed up healing of broken bones, um, as, as unusual as this may seem. Now, I realize that there's a lot of people that, that kind of approach hypnosis like it's a panacea and can be treated with a huge amount of stuff. But this is one particular study that seemed incredibly outlandish, but actually uh, had some really impressive results, some really wonderful outcomes. And so for me, the fact that, and the kind of mini factoid that proved feasibility for an application of hypnosis for the development of repair of broken bones seemed like a really cool thing, something that um, um, I write about and I talk about and, and researched and, and spoke a lot about uh, the time after uh, an ultramarathon that I, I broke a metatarsal and, and, and used that particular application myself. So for me, that was always a really neat factoid panel. Yes, Freddie, you can just say. I know he's not on the panel. This man here is an osteosurgeon, and he's using these techniques. And I think it'd be worth having five minutes or three minutes listening to him, how he's using the techniques with his patients. He's a bone surgeon, so I think it's up to you, but 
he, he could give insight to what you're just talking about. Well, I, I would be very happy to hear that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you do have three minutes. Flavio. El Dottor. 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 Your time starts now. <laughs> okay, uh, good evening to, uh, good night to everyone. Flavio! First, sorry my English, I'm from Brazil, so my English is not so good, okay? So sometimes I have some difficulty to any words, okay? Uh, I'm a surgeon in Brazil, an orthopedic surgeon, and uh, I'm still working with this uh, since uh, one year and a half. And I applied uh, the, these techniques with the pre-operative uh, pre and post-operative patients. And I can uh, diminish one day the time when the patients stay in the hospital. Uh, to the cost, to the, 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 to the um, uh, Brazilian um, yeah, the, to, the cost about it is uh, very good to, to see these results. And uh, the, the, the patient really love it, the, the, this kind of procedure, because uh, I'm actually used not to control the pain. I control the anxiety the patient come. Because the pain, you make a morphine, you solve it in less than a minute. But uh, the anxiety, the, the, the afraid about, uh, oh my God, I'm gonna die. So you, if, you, you, if you can uh, control this, you can control the patient. So uh, I'm seeing with the doctors, the difficult to talk with the patient because when you see a fracture you see that then mm. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> if you were patient you still very worried oh my god the doctor said oh my god is, 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 what Never the fuck it. happened with Never me <laughs> i'm gonna die i'm gonna lose my leg i lost my arm so you must look the patient we do this all the day we can fix this we, we, we just do this it's easy to us but you still think about your family in Brazil the people are very emotional it's different from here uh, where, uh, <laughs> when, you, when you make uh, when you make the, 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 the training today with uh, Mike Mendel uh, we have a lot of afraid to oh you're in England so can I touch you no in Brazil, we don't worry about it. Oh, I'm Brazilian. Okay, how are you, man? Oh, yeah. And uh, this occurred there. Uh, in Brazil, so we make this. Hypnosis must inside, must be inside in the hospital. Uh, for me, the best street hypnosis I have in the hospital because all the people need the hypnosis there. You have uh, the parents or family. Uh, all the family is still worried. The patient need it. And the nurses... And the, all the team in the hospital must have. Right. Five, four, three, two. Thank you. You ready for my factoid? Whip it on me, baby. Well, you all know your stuff. On the count of three, I want you all to shout out the answer to this question. Who came up with the word hypnosis? Hypnosis terminology. One, brain. two, three. Brain. 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 Not brain. Not brain. Not brain. No, that would be animal magnetism. But an animal magnetist called Etienne Felix Denis de Cuvillier, born April 27, 1755, 
He was a quartermaster in the French army. He was, he's the kind of guy that saved animal magnetism. He managed to bridge animal magnetism into hypnotism. And you can find references to hypnology in 1809. Uh, he was using it in his two-volume book set in 1826. Unfortunately, James Bray didn't use the term until 1842. I think he finally was his dad, actually, and he just uh, took it off him. <laughs> 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 okay, but there's a clear link, and you can actually you can read all about this guy in the American Journal of Hypnosis. There's a paper online called A Founder of Hypnosis. Essentially, Cavillier facilitated the survival of animal magnetism, allowing it to become hypnotism. He made the hypno-nomenclature famous. He knew La Fontaine. La Fontaine, La Fontaine took Braid to a show of animal magnetism, and it's La Fontaine who influenced Braid. First thing Braid says was something like, fan, uh, it's Greek, it's like fanta, fantasazi zuzi. It's like imagination power. Probably should have stuck with that. But... Um, it isn't a word. It there you go. Be. Don't make that mistake again. It was not Brave who introduced the term hypnosis. It was Cuvillier. Thank you very much, Anne. All right. Diego Dubert, Fantasazazuzi. So, factoid. That's the one. All right, all right, all right, all right. So, you know, what, what's a factoid? Um... <laughs> The thing about hypnosis is, honestly, there's, there's so much that is not fact. I mean, it's all... We still don't know what the fuck it is. But, it, but I'm just saying, shut up. The women on so the panel So for me, the, the fact... Hey, Flavio sat in the seat, right? So, so for me, the factoids come from other places. Right, so my favorite stuff would be coming from neuroscience, would be coming from social psychology, would be coming from cognitive science, and these things are all applicable to what we do. So for me, I mean, I guess the, the big factoids that influenced me would be um, the work on neuroplasticity and the work on memory reconsolidation and things that have direct map across to my work. So priming and a lot of those studies, um, embodied cognition, there's a lot of great factoids that come out of that. So, I mean, as Give far me as... one, then. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a bunch of bluff to me. That's a fake news there. Just one simple one, Melissa. <laughs> one says a lot of factoids. Give me one of them, Melissa. All right, all right, all right, one. Fuck you. Um... <laughs> I'm winging it. Just Give me make out I, normally, I take a little while to warm up. <laughs> All right, we'll come back to you, Melissa. Here's, the Here's James. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm winging it too. Uh, I'm very much, I'm very, very much like Melissa, where, where we're, we're, we're the science geeks and we like to understand why things are working, how they're working, that kind of thing. Um, so Melissa's kind of gone one way, so I go, I go cognitive linguistic way uh, because it's how words mobilise us. We've got our brains, we've got our spinal cords, we've got peripheral nervous system. When we hear a word that involves a motor action. Our neurology fires with a representation of that motor action. The motor cortex does put a little inhibition on it, finally firing at the motor neurons. So if I think about throwing a punch in a fight, I won't actually just flick out. Those of you who know the Jarvis Cocker, I think his inhibition is lost there when he dances. Uh, some, 
You see him dance on stage for the love of the common people. It's very topical. What was that? Yeah, I'm, I'm showing my age now. I'm getting on a bit. Um, but yeah, so the words we use, if it involves uh, a motor action, um, then it creates movement in the neurology that represents uh, uh, the movement that's coming out in, in, in the body. Um, it's a, a great way for suggestion to create movement in, in, in the subject, um, and it's a great way that I use to do things like stick people's feet to the floor while I'm sparring them. kind of makes it easier to hit them. But well, you can end up doing that stuff if you understand the way that your, your, your motor cortex and the neurology works on receiving words and sounds. So just have a think about using uh, motor movements uh, to, to the words that imply motor movements and, and create the motor effect in, in your subjects uh, and you can get some quite magical results quite quickly just by being a geek. I like that one. Geek power, man. Mm. Yep, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm winging it. Better than anyone else. I'm gonna do it. Right, so I'm generally the kind of anti-facts guy, really. Um, what? No, no, I'm, I'm a big fan of Alfred Korzybski, right? General semantics. Like, the shorthand thing that Alfred Korzybski would always say is, like, whatever you say it is, you're wrong, right? Because the, the thing you're describing isn't made of the words, the ideas, the concepts. So whatever you say it is, you're wrong. So I'm always, I, this is a huge part of how I do change work with people, is having people start to see that they're making up their experience as it is, you know, as it appears to be. They're not living in the world as it is. They're living in the world as it occurs to them. So I'm working with clients all the time in a completely opposite direction from this kind of whole facts thing that I know... Adam loves so very much. <clears throat> but I'm going to play the facts game now. I'm going to play the factoid game. I'm going to pretend there's a thing called facts. So, <laughs> taking my cue from Anthony, who coined the term critical factor? Faculty. Faculty? David Elman. Right, who said Elman? It's not David who said Elman? Who said Elman? Who said Elman? Who said faculty? I said faculty. Yay! Thank you. Thank you very much. This is my favorite fake fact that gets kicked around in the, uh, in the hypnosis. Well, this critical factor thing, it drives me up the wall. Uh, you know, the number of times I, I've, I've said, go look at, look at Elman's hypnotherapy. Look at this page. See the term he used. The term he used is critical faculty, not critical factor. Um, and that is a fact, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> a fact. <laughs> you owed him on that one, Jeeves. Um, that lady needs a geek badge. So um, uh, th th there's, a, th th there's a massive hip hypnosis, folkloric kind of notion that goes around also uh, very often uh, yeah. that, that hypnosis can be used to create blisters and um, um, it's kind of gone around and uh, many a night, uh, long wintry nights, uh, uh, hypnotists around a, uh, uh, an outdoor campfire talk about uh, being able to develop uh, hypnotic blisters and um, so rather bizarrely and peculiarly this has been studied uh, over 13 different uh, clinical trials and, and never been able to replicate such a thing. Um, um, so if you really would like to be Buzz Killington in amongst um, 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 a time when people are, are gathering around and, and suggesting that hypnosis can be used that way, um, um, it can't. Um, so, so you'll be a right laugh. Uh, with regards to our final session, does anybody have, um, does anybody have a question? Anybody have any questions I, for I our panel before we finish? This, just kind of introduce again and tell, them, tell the audience out there in live land what this is and where we are and stuff like that. Adam, please. Yep, so um, um, this is Hypnosis Weekly Live from the UK Hypnosis Convention, and uh, we're about to wrap things up. 
Um, um, if anybody has a question for the panel that they would like, um, 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 if you have anything in particular um, with regards to, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the UK hypnosis convention, obviously not held in Belgium. <laughs> Too right. As the panel got, um, what would your advice be if you, it, in one sort of sentence, if you were speaking to someone who's just starting out, what was your did you just read my mind? Read what was your <laughs> ideal advice for a first starter-outer person? It sounds really simple, but my advice is begin. Like The more of this I do, the, the simpler the techniques are that I use. I went down a long road of complication, and it's all lovely because we love language and we love studying language, but you can waste a lot of time. Just begin. Keep it simple. Could a kid understand what you're saying? Begin. Start suggesting today, and you'll hypnotise people today. Yeah? Buy reality is plastic. Get you started. You'll be hypnotised by lunchtime. And lunchtime. Where, can they, where can they get that book? AnthonyJackwin.com. It's the only place in the world you can get it. And it's on special now, you say? Very special. Very special. <laughs> so I, I, like, I like begin. I like just... Just do it. Just start. And it actually reminds me of a metaphor. And a, it's a factoid. And a, and, and a metaphor. And a snippet. Wait. So there was this great um, study, and I don't know when it was. Doesn't matter. I'm sure there was. Experts agree. It's the Research. Fox News. They had, it was a pottery Research. class. Listen, this is good. You'll like it. You'll like it. You'll use it. It was a pottery class, and they had uh, two groups. One group was told to, they were going to be graded on their finest work. Just give me your best piece. Just take all the time you need. The next group was told they were going to be graded by the pound. So it didn't matter what it was. You just have to turn out. You get, you know, for 50 pounds, you get an A. 40 pounds, you get a B. 30 pounds. And at the end of this study, when they were giving away prizes for the best pieces, all the best pieces came from the group that was turning it out for poundage. So they were just doing it, doing it, doing it, without you know worrying about getting it perfect, just in the doing of it. So nice. I think you. that's good. I would say um, never stop learning. Like, I'm in this still because we're never going to reach the cap. We're never going to say, I know everything there is to know about hypnosis. Done. So, you know, be curious and continue. That's good stuff. I like that. that. That appeared in Matthew Syed's book as well. He covered that, as I read on holiday last week. Yeah? Uh, but not, not in that context. There's, there's more than one study into that, and he, he did it. What's um, the book called? Uh, I can't remember now. It's by Matthew Syed. It's a collection of one of his uh, uh, um, series of uh, uh, blog pieces. Um, but he goes into the, 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 the in, in a lot more detail, and I really like that. Um, for me, the best advice would be Get your subject to imagine what they need to imagine for that thing to happen. And it's that simple. If hypnosis is where imagination is guided so much that it becomes their reality with a sense of non-volition, to give yourself the flexibility to, to quote James's product, have a no-fail protocol, yeah. worth it, there you go. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, what's, what's a good one, James? Yeah, yeah. All I can say for that, James, is no worries. Gary Turner on Amazon. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if, if, if you want ultimate flexibility with your client, just get them to imagine what they need to imagine. 
every single psychological intervention is just getting the clients to imagine stuff differently. Get them to imagine what they need to imagine for that thing to happen. It gives you the flexibility. Um, and it also means that if one thing messes up, you know what to do next. Get them to imagine something different. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's the advice that I would give. Here's James. That's good, man. That's good. <laughs> so the biggest piece of advice that I would give anybody getting into hypnosis is get curious and explore with the person that you're doing hypnosis with. This is a huge thing. A lot of people get into hypnosis, they think it's some kind of mind control, they want to dominate people's minds. Instead of getting in there, commanding, all of this kind of stuff, explore, invite people to move their minds in interesting ways and invite them to experience what they experience as a result of that. If you approach it with curiosity, if you approach it as an experiment, as a process of discovery, you cannot miss, you cannot fail, you cannot go wrong because whatever happens is what happens. As you invite this mind shift, you see what emerges as a result. And interesting things can always happen. And there's nothing to miss. There's nothing to fail. There's nowhere to go wrong. And I think, and I know this myself from mentoring many people who are learning hypnosis, the biggest thing that keeps people from developing is their fear of failure. But there is no fear of failure if you are just willing to open up, be curious, and go, what happens if you pay attention like this, imagine this, notice this? And, and that way, I think uh, progress can be made a lot quicker and a lot of surprising and interesting things can be discovered on the way. Yeah, that's, that's my advice. That's good too, James. That's one of the better advice. questions. There, right? <laughs> okay, so um, I'm, I, I encounter out there um, quite a lot of resistance to a lot of the stuff that I, that, that I present with, with regards to attempting to kind of bridge the chasm that exists between frontline hypnotherapy field and the world of academia and, and researchers. And um, I'm, I... I, I kind of encounter a large cult of anti-intellectualism um, um, a lot of the time, um, um, which I think is, is a real shame. Um, for me, I think that one of the best things that, that anybody could do is to continue to develop. I would, you know, myself happily mine this subject uh, for the rest of my days. And I think that continuing to, to research and read and explore and, and refuse to just kind of entrench yourself in dogma and potentially to question uh, original training and question kind of received wisdom um, um, and, and refuse to continue to perpetuate the same kind of myths um, because the perception of one's client and the perception of one's prospective marketplace is such that, you know, if you are perceived as being credible and educated and valid, then I think that will develop your business and develop your skills and you go on to, to receive a huge amount more of a, of a rewarding career. And I think finally, you know, I get a lot of people that glibly suggest that perhaps academia um, um, is, is unnecessary and that practical skills rule the day all the time. And I think that if you have good quality education and you understand the depth and breadth about this field, something that I'm really always keen to promote, um, it informs your practical skills and your practical skills become exponential as a result of your education. Um, I think that's it. So um, um, I think we're going to, uh, I think we're going to call it a day uh, there. Um, um, Thank you, everybody, for coming. Um, um, thank you for um, um, enabling us to understand. It's live, baby. It's so beautiful, man. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All the way to go. That's it. Hey, there you go. Yeah, that's it. That's good. Here we go. 
Everybody's in the front row. Everybody's in the front row. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm talking about. Festival of hypnosis that we have ahead of us. Um, um, an opportunity to massively celebrate uh, what we do. And uh, throughout the course of the weekend, you know, don't sit around passively attempting to confirm stuff that you already know. Allow yourself to be challenged. And ideally, that was one of the aims of this evening, um, um, to get people's juices flowing a little bit. Um, a massive thank you to everybody, um, Anthony, Melissa, but most importantly, a um, um, most importantly, a massive thank you to you all for being. Um, you know, it, it's a real honour, it's a real privilege to to be amongst professional peers and loved ones. Um, so thank you. Um, much love, much peace. This is Hypnosis Reiki from the UK. It's live. It's the UK. It's the London, baby. It's awesome. Gotta be here, man. I love you, man. Come back. We'll be back soon. Take care, sir. Feel good right now, man. Now, I really enjoyed that. I hope you guys did too. My thanks to everybody that took part. Um, now, this podcast returns very soon with more guests and some of the usual features, as well as some new fresh items that I think you're going to love. Uh, my name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly Live. I send you my very best wishes. Goodbye for now. Mm-hmm.